This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, October 26, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. The White House has announced intentions to withdraw from large agreements limiting nuclear weapons. What does that mean for American security and the substantial costs associated with such weapons? Cato's Eric Gomez and Carolyn Dormany comment. Before the Trump administration, how did administrations look at uh, arms reduction treaties? And how did the, I guess, how did the public look at it? Well, previous administrations had been very interested in nuclear arms control writ large. Um, the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, also known as INF, which is what we're going to be talking about today, um, that was actually created by Reagan in 1987. Um, New START, the latest in Bilateral relations with Russia on nuclear arms control was negotiated during the Obama administration. Um, Both Republicans and Democrats had been pretty heavily invested in nuclear nonproliferation and arms control movements. Um, Trump has really pulled away from the norm on this one um, and has taken a much more hostile tone to a lot of these treaties and and thrown a lot of things into uh, question that weren't necessarily going to be questioned beforehand at all. I think a lot of people in C- in D.C. were interested in fixing the problems with these treaties, but definitely moving forward with them and, and maybe amending them to keep and making sure that they're going to have relevance um, over the next decade at least. I think the role of John Bolton in all this too should be noted because uh, the sort of in the Bush administration, uh, they pulled out of the anti-ballistic missile treaty Um, in 2001 and John Bolton had a very high-ranking position in the Bush administration at the time uh, working on arms control issues. And now he's in the Trump administration as a national security advisor and we're seeing this sort of renewed uh, offensive against things like the Iran nuclear deal and uh, the INF treaty. So I think that, you know, it would be important to note Bolton's role in all of this um, as a sort of generally opposed to arms control agreements and uh, wanting to get rid of them. What is the at least stated reason why the Trump administration wants to remove itself from these arms treaties? Well, the one of the big arguments um, is the Russia uh, argument to say that Russia has fielded a couple systems that violate the terms of the treaty. So the INF treaty prohibits uh, any ground launched ballistic or cruise missile with a range between uh, 500 and 5,500 kilometers. And recently, Russia has uh, fielded at least two systems that could violate the treaty by having that that kind of range um, that is prohibited. So this was known under the Obama administration. Um, and there was some efforts during that administration to try and bring them back into compliance. Um, but that was really the focus uh, under Obama and up until recently, um, the stated focus of the Trump administration and the uh, and European allies was to try and pressure Russia to get rid of these systems and return to compliance, uh, not to get rid of the treaty entirely. And we're sort of seeing the effects of this already where uh, uh, the European Union, at least, I'm not sure if NATO has released a statement yet, but the European Union released a statement shortly after the announcement that Trump would pull out of the treaty saying that you know, we don't want to have a nuclear arms race. We don't want to have an arms race with Russia. Um, we want to con- return them to compliance. And we understand that they're violating, 
But, you know, when you sort of torch the treaty, you don't really have many options to uh, reverse course. You kind of lock the U.S. into a position of, um, well, we're going to get rid of it now um, and move ahead. So I think that that's been a very uh, consistent point of concern among European allies and also uh, Japan so far has released a statement saying, you know, we didn't want the U.S. to leave this thing. We wanted to fix it. We didn't want to get rid of it. Uh, so I think that's going to cause a lot of consternation among U.S. friends abroad. In terms of just the raw expense, it seems that uh, at first blush, you pull out of a nuclear weapons treaty. I mean, the United States has enough weapons to destroy the world several times over. Um, it just seems like you're raising costs both for the U.S. and for countries that we might want to have as friends. Exactly. I mean, in a lot of different ways that you can look at it, it's it's raising costs. You're raising the risks of restarting a nuclear arms race that we haven't had to deal with since the Cold War. Um, you're raising the cost for European allies, for NATO allies, for allies in the Pacific, um, because they are much closer to Russia. They can get caught in the crosshairs. And then you're also raising the stakes back at home for the U.S., um, we are on the cusp of starting the nuclear modernization plan where we're overhauling most of our infrastructure, our warheads, our missiles, our systems that deliver the missiles. And that's all going to come at enormous cost. Um, I think the last estimates that I saw, it's going to absorb anywhere from between 5 to 7 percent of the defense budget for the next 30 years um, is going to be devoted to nuclear weapons and, and overhauling that infrastructure. So if we start meddling with things, if we start taking interest in even more systems and, and building new systems to um, to fill this like very small minor capability gap, then we're going to add even more costs on to what we're already expected to spend. And this is one area where Congress could actually play some of a role here because uh, they would have to actually approve any kind of funding for these, you know, missile systems that would uh, that Trump wants to build to vi that violate INF. Um, and if the Democrats take control of the House uh, in November, um, or if you know something changes in the Congress, then there could be a lot of congressional resistance to it. Uh, so you know, you sort of get the result of, all right, great, we we pulled out of this um, arms control treaty instead of fixing it, causing you know, political problems with um, our friends and also, you know, sort of doubting the the likelihood that you'd actually get anything done. So it just seems like all around a very uh, foolhardy decision for the Trump administration to have made. Uh, China is not a party to this treaty. So what where do we stand right now with respect to nuclear weapons? I know the U.S. has way more than China, but where does that stand now? Uh, so I think China was the sort of second card, if you're looking sort of, uh, so Russia has violated um, and China was brought into the argument for leaving the treaty because, like you said, they weren't bound by it. So they've developed a lot of missiles that would violate the treaty um, sort of unencumbered. And, you know, leaving the treaty was seen as a way to counteract this development. Um, I think that in Asia, the U.S. would want to field um, not – so the INF Treaty prohibits missiles that have just a certain range. It doesn't matter if they're nuclear or conventional. At the time that the treaty was made, the only sort of missiles that could carry – that could fly to those ranges were nuclear-armed nuclear anyway because um, uh, 
of just the relatively poor state of accuracy uh, of the systems. Um, but now missile systems are a lot more accurate and you could use conventional systems at those types of ranges effectively in a military sense. Um, so I think in Asia, the US would not be looking to deploy nuclear armed systems. Um, instead, we would try to probably deploy conventional ones. Uh, the problem with this is we haven't, I don't think the administration has done enough thinking to consider where our allies stand on this. I think there's going to be a lot of resistance. There's already some resistance from Japan. Um, but going forward, I think our options for actually deploying these things in Asia could be significantly reduced, which would also reduce the effectiveness of, um, you know, your goal, if your goal is to deter China by holding a lot of their targets at risk and your allies that are closest to China are resistant to have you deploy those systems, then you kind of limit yourself. Um, so I'm not sure that the these types of missiles would actually change um, the military outlook in Asia all that significantly when you consider these political constraints and when you consider um, just the general military balance. So I think any kind of operational or military benefit we get in Asia is pretty rapidly offset by the political costs to um, US relations with Europe uh, and also the difficulties of deploying these things um, once we actually get them. And I think it's kind of important to note as well that in terms of how this change was implemented, it was brought about in kind of a strange way in that I am not under the impression that many of our allies were actually briefed before this announcement was made. Um, I think maybe a couple of the European nations got a heads up, but by and large, they weren't consulted. And I, I think that is very consistent with you know, how the Trump administration has been conducting its diplomatic relations. But even the president himself this week said, um, I forget the exact quote, but he was asked by reporters if he had spoken to European allies. And he said something to the effect of, I don't have to talk to them. This is my decision. We don't have to talk to them. They're not a part of it. It's And he just kind of um, cut them out, even though this has big implications for their own security. Um in their own countries. And so I think a lot of the pushback that we're seeing from European nations, from Pacific allies, is from not being included in this decision, even in a cursory way. I'm trying to look for a silver lining here. Is there any way that withdrawing from uh, INF and sort of being more skeptical toward uh, arms reduction treaties in general actually enhances the ability of the United States or frees up the United States to engage in a more robust defense against nuclear weapons? We already have a very robust defense against nuclear weapons. Um, we have been working towards nuclear nonproliferation since the end of the Cold War, even during the end of the Cold War. Um, I think the only possible silver lining for this is if all of our resources that we're currently exerting to um, you know, maintain INF or or maintain some sort of belief in that in that treaty working. Um, if those resources could now be diverted to helping renew and extend New Start, then that is a silver lining. If if the administration is making a targeted decision that we can't save both, and they want to focus on New Start, then that would be a silver lining. I'm just not sure that the Trump administration is actually headed in that direction. And I think a lot of people in this community are worried that 
with the INF no longer a part of our nuclear nonproliferation efforts, that New START is the next one on the chopping block. Eric Gomez and Carolyn Dormany are policy analysts at the Cato Institute. And if you would do me a personal favor, please rate and review the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you like. And of course, please follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>